CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is sponsored by Zengo. This is the Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the metaverse, Web3, and more with stories that matter to the crypto world. All on the hash for your ears. You're listening to the Coindesk Podcast Network. Hey there, how you doing? My name's Zach Seward. You're watching Coindesk TV. You are joined by Will Foxley, Jensen Assey, and special guest Christy Harkin. Hey, Christy, how you doing? There she is. All right, we're going to get you up to speed on all that's going on in the world of crypto. We're going to start with some more drama. Will, what is going on with Doquan and Terraform Labs? You got the latest. Doquan Watch, the saga continues. According to a new report from CNBC, South Korean authorities have arrested a general affairs person over at Terraform Labs with the surname Yu. That's all the information we have as of right now. They can only arrest a person for 48 hours before releasing them unless they get a warrant. So I think they are in the process of getting that warrant. Of course, the note for Doquan continues, including uh, Interpol looking for him and a few other executives at Terraform Labs. This is the first arrest that we've seen from the fallout of LFG, uh, Luna, and Terra back in May. So pretty significant step up for South Korean prosecutors who are again looking to collect Doquan and the executives at Terraform Labs related to the collapse of Terra Luna. Zach, I'm going to throw this one over to you. Get your take on it. Yeah, man. We were talking about this yesterday. Crypto is just one big <laughs> soap opera, and we keep coming back for plot twists <laughs> such as this. It's really all I got. I mean, this thing is a very fluid situation in terms of the authorities potentially closing in on the figurehead of Terraform Labs. That is probably what the subtext of these actions would appear to be. But yeah, this is crazy. Comes as Korea freezes uh, Doe's passport. There's all sorts of crazy stuff going on here. And yeah, seems to be some continued ramifications from that big old collapse back in May. I'm going to toss this to Jen for her thoughts, and then we'll, we'll get you back on the board. I think it's really interesting that they made this arrest without having a warrant first. And I wonder what they're going to use those 48 hours for. I wonder if they're going to try and find out where Doquan is. I wonder if they're going to try and get more information about what was going on behind the scenes. And I wonder if we're going to see more executives get arrested. When I read this story, I thought about that viral TikTok sound. You know, the pressure is getting worse for the executives that were entangled with Doquan. And so it will be interesting to see if they're able to get any 
information or a warrant within the 48 hours, because there must be a reason why they weren't able to get that warrant before the arrest. I don't know, Will, what do you think? Yeah, I think you're right. They're probably trying to get more information out of this. To me, that my thought immediately went to look at all these other crypto projects that are not as big or notable as Terra Luna, right? Terra Luna is just notable because so many people aped into it and so many people lost money so quickly because that stablecoin project fell apart in a spectacular fashion. You know, but general affairs person, like maybe an executive, maybe not, but it has to put a lot of crypto people on watch. The fact that governments are willing to go after anybody who's inside an organization, inside a crypto firm, willing to put them in prison or jail for 48 hours and, and wait to get more information. That certainly, to me, sort of steers things back into like be very cautious and be very private with your crypto life because there are considerations, right? These things are not necessarily legal or illegal yet. We're still waiting for a lot of governments to decide what they want these things to be classified as. And so when the rubber hits the road and governments are going after bad projects, you know, it might not matter that you're pretty low level with inside the firm. You might get scooped up anyways and put yourself in the backside of a truck. Christy, you can throw it up to you, get your take on it. I'm just sitting back and watching these projects, kind of the chickens all coming home to roost, really, for centralized projects that give crypto a bad name, because I, I just feel really sad that this is the face of crypto at the moment, that we're getting all of these bad actors all over, not just our crypto news sites, but mainstream media as well, and that it's just giving every everything a bad name. And what I'm really hoping is that people will learn to at least investigate the figures that are part of centralized services and centralized projects and where those points of failure are and can be, and as opposed to looking into projects that are more generally or better managed. I don't know what else to say about this guy. Like it's just it kind of just keeps going on and on. Jen? Christy, I saw you tweet the other day about, I think you saw something in the mainstream media that used the Bitcoin logo attached to a story similar to this. I don't think it was this, this story, but I, I think that tweet really points towards, you know, the mainstream sees these stories and they think that it's all of crypto altogether, including Bitcoin, which has nothing to do with this. And that is really sad. And so I'm happy that you brought that up. Yeah, I, I think it's a fair point to bring up that Bitcoin and really good projects out there do get blasted because of the poor choices of these other projects. And so that's where you see like the Bitcoin maximalist mantra, even the Ethereum maximalist mantra sort of be rolled out. And for good reason, right? Like if you're related to Terraform Labs or you're related to Terra Luna, you have mud on your face. And the retail investor or the normal person out there sees this and looks at it and is like, oh, you guys are all in the same bucket. Why would I want to invest in you? And I think that's why we still have this cyclicity within crypto, right? Things will always go up very strongly and go down very strongly because everyone thinks they can make money on the way up. And on the way down, everyone's like, you guys are all scammers. So until we get away from that, which I don't know if crypto ever will, but until we get away from that, I don't think we'd see these cycles disappear. But we can leave that awful project to aside and move on to another one. Zach, what you got? Oof. Thanks, Will. All right, let's go talk about Celsius Network, crypto lending firm that's also dissolving itself through the bankruptcy process. Now, bankruptcy proceedings, big old long line of people looking to get some pennies back on their dollar. And some of those people are favored over other groups of people. And in this story by Ian Allison, we get an update on how Celsius customers are toward the back of that line. 
And that's sort of a reality of how these proceedings ultimately unfold. But this is happening against the backdrop of CEO Alex Mashinsky and other top executives pulling out something like $42 million from the platform itself before things really hit the fan. So this is uh, another update on Celsius, uh, which is in a bit of dire straits. I'm going to throw this to... I'm going to throw this to Christy, actually. Christy, what are your thoughts on the Celsius story? I think it, again, speaks to some of these centralized parties that exist on top of these open blockchain networks. What are your thoughts? Yeah, second verse, same as the first. We're getting a lot of these stories coming out about things that have, you know, unfortunate leadership, perhaps unfortunate business models in the first place. And shout it to uh, Coindesk Christine Lee for calling it way early, I think. <laughs> We've known that there's been some odd shenanigans potentially going on uh, at, at Celsius for a while. And I think that the behavior of the CEO in the last little while has been kind of bringing that to bear. Um, we're seeing, I mean, taking money out, rearranging it so that uh, so that the retail customers are at the back of the queue. I think that, you know, that doesn't give anything a good look on, on the face of it. And is, again, as in the case of Terra, it's making everybody in crypto look bad. And the thing with Celsius is it does involve more than just their own token. It's a lending platform. It dealt with lots of different tokens and representing, you know, gains in lots of different ways. And, you know, people think that by putting their money into something like that, they're, they're going to be making it big in crypto. And it really dashed a lot of hopes. So there's a big, that's a big problem for media relations. Well, yeah, I want to compare this against the BlockFi chapter 11, which we're seeing as well right now. And BlockFi is working with FTX and a few of the counterparties to try to figure out like, who gets what in the event that there's going to be an auction of these assets? We've seen that SBF and FTX have publicly stated over and over again that they want these assets to go back in the hands of the correct people. I think it's a similar case with Voyager Digital, which is also looking at uh, putting these assets back in the hands of people who had them on the platform originally. That's compared to this situation with Celsius, where you have these equity holders also involved. So you have two groups, right? You have the equity holders in Celsius that paid upfront with big checks. They get a slice of whatever revenue Celsius makes in the future through dividends, possibly. And then they also get a chunk of the company in case it goes public. If it doesn't go public, you still have that private valuation. You can sell that on the secondary market to your friends and family if you want, or you can just keep it in your own pocket as an asset on your own books. That's a nice place to be, but it's not a great place to be if you go through Chapter 11. And so their desires for that money is now against all these customers who had assets parked on top of Celsius. If you had a Bitcoin or two parked on top of Celsius, probably haven't gotten it back yet. And you've probably been waiting for this auction to occur. Well, guess what? There's two claims to that money, right? You want the equity holders to get it. And you also want the customers on the platform to get their money back. But there's not enough money. That's simply what it is, right? Like You can't have a valuation of $5 billion or whatever it was at some point. And then also have all these assets on the books, like the money has to be split somewhere. And that's the unfortunate part of this chapter 11 bankruptcies is oftentimes the people who have access to making these decisions and get the assets are the ones with power. And it's not going to be the customers in this case, unless this goes through some protracted class action lawsuit, or there's somebody at the top like SBF who's willing to be a little bit altruistic. Don't see a way where Celsius customers end up on a very good side of this. That's just the nature of Chapter 11. I hope I'm wrong, but that's typically the nature of Chapter 11. It can be pretty tough if you were just lower down on the contract stack. Zach, I'll throw it back up to you. Uh, I think that's a pretty fair summation of where that stands, and it's not going to be the last that we hear 
of Celsius and its disgruntled customers. That's just the nature of these things, be it Celsius, Kodak, or what have you. Zengo Crypto Wallet is an on-chain crypto wallet with no private key vulnerability, leveraging advanced cryptography called MPC, which until now has only been available to multi-billion dollar institutions. Zengo is the most secure Web3 wallet and the best place to keep your digital currency, NFTs, and assets secure. It's also fully recoverable using the wallet's biometric recovery kit. Get started at zengo.com slash hash and use code hash to get $20 back on your first purchase of $200 or more. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Welcome to Coindesk's Women Who Web 3 podcast, your weekly podcast celebrating women supporting women, investing in women, and bridging the gender gap in wealth through Web 3. Each week, we'll be learning from powerful women sharing their insights on topics like creating belonging and inclusivity in the digital spaces, the metaverse, building prosperous Web3 projects, investing in cryptocurrencies and building wealth. And we have how-tos from founders and builders who have been there and done that, healing sessions to give you the power to overcome imposter syndrome and everything you need to level up in your crypto journey. At the end of each podcast, stick around for some Zen with a relaxing meditation to center you after absorbing all the stories and the knowledge. I'm your host, Cams, and I'm on a mission to empower women across the globe to unlock the unlimited potential and earning power inside themselves through Web3. Whether you're just crypto curious or a crypto connoisseur, this podcast is for you. Let's get it. We're going to Italy for this next one because Italy has some really interesting stuff going on over there. Okay, so back in uh, January, there was an outline registration and reporting requirement set forth for virtual asset service providers, VASPs, that align with uh, the EU's fifth AML directive and the FATF guidelines for crypto firms. So basically what they did was they created this reporting list. So anybody, uh, any crypto businesses that want to set up in Italy, um, starting in May, they were able to add themselves to this registration list um, overseen by, I love this, the Organismo Agenti e Mediatore, the OAM, a supervisory body in Italy that maintains the list of financial agents like credit mediators and money changers, whatever. So they started applying. We added over the summer, 73 crypto firms have been added to this approved list. These include prominent crypto firms like Coinbase, Binance, Crypto.com, and they're all excited because they've secured regulatory approval to continue operating in Italy. And one of the other things they have to do to be approved is have a home base. They have to have a branch in Italy. So that sounds cool, except when you really look at it, it turns out that there's only like 15 days that Italy, that this um, the OAM has to turn around their approval or denial of the uh, application, which isn't a lot of time for them to do actual investigating and checking into these companies. So I guess what they didn't, apparently. <laughs> And some of these places, their version of a, you know, a branch is their lawyer's office or something in Italy. So what we have here, it seems, is an approval process to make sure that these crypto companies are legit, but nobody's actually checking into them. That might be done down the road. So, yeah, that, that's a kind of a weird situation that we're seeing there in Italy. 
Uh, anybody want to weigh in on this? I just keep thinking of our retail investors, right? We tell people to do their own research, to do as much research as they can before they interact with any of these crypto companies. And I think that a lot of people might look to what companies are regulated and assume that they've gone through some sort of due diligence process. And so to hear that 73 firms haven't been vetted in Italy was very shocking for me to read this morning. And it was interesting to hear the board say that, yes, we're still figuring out how we're going to collect this data. And so my next question was, okay, well, what happens if after we collect the data, we find out that some of these companies should not be registered with the regulator? What's the recourse there and who is responsible? I think that there's maybe a little bit of a lack of forward thinking here. Um, And at the end of the day, it's just the retail investors, the people who the regulators should be looking out for, the people who the regulators say they're looking out for, who are going to suffer. So this was a little bit uh, sad and jarring to read this morning. Will, what do you got? I don't know. I disagree with you. Long live the laissez-faire Mediterranean attitude. I love it. <laughs> Not checking anything. They're just letting it exist. They got to scoot then why on have by. It at all? Do whatever why you want. Why have it at all? Well, I like it. At the I like it. This is very on brand for Italy. Continue to be on brand, Italy. And let's not forget that everyone else who says they know how to do this on the regulatory stance is full of it. Okay. Guess what? New York 2015 bit license. They pushed that through. It was the worst piece of legislation you could do. Do you want Italy to do that because they don't know how this crypto stuff works? I don't think you do. I think I'd rather just let them scoot on by, like, let them take their time. They'll figure it out at some point, and then they'll get some good stuff on the books. New York doesn't know how to do it either, right? They haven't known how to do this forever, but they just pushed legislation through. Italy put you know, hands up. They said, oh, we can't figure this out. We'll, we'll let you guys slide by. I'm sure you guys are doing okay. We'll figure it out later. One other last point I think that's good to make here. Italy is part of the EU and the EU is passing all this crypto legislation right now. We talked about yesterday. We don't really know how it's going to stack up together, right? So like Italy might have some legislation on its books, but Italy also subscribes to the EU. So once the EU legislation passes, it might change how Italy does things. It might be best to wait. We don't know how those interact. I'm sure it's going to be a little bit more tough than necessarily we know right now to get through all this regulatory web. Zach, throw it up to you. I'm with Will. Like at the risk of inflaming pro-Italy Twitter trolls, isn't (laughs) Italy like known for bureaucratic dysfunction? Like there's some crazy like mail, like postal service strikes in Italian history, all sorts of crazy stuff where tons of undelivered mail just dumped, whatever, in the canal, in the (laughs) dump, no big deal. Look it up. There's some good stuff out there. So I think I'm with Will. This is par for the course. And you know what? It's hard stuff to figure out. That's like, they got to figure it out. Micah may provide some clarity here, but that's not going to be involved. That's not going to be implemented until 2024. So in the meantime, there's going to be sort of this piecemeal approach to regulation, to registration. And at the, at the moment, there's a bit of like arbitrage that companies are playing in terms of whether or not they're going to be restrictive and harsh toward the industry or accepting, embracing, and potentially even a bit laissez-faire, as we'll put it. So I don't know. We'll have to check in and see if this has any meaningful ramifications. Yeah. To be fair on this, you got to make sure you understand also that just because you're on the list doesn't mean that you are officially, you know, given a license or regular, like there's nothing super official about being on this list. It's the mixed messaging of it that I think is part of the problem. It's like, yes, they're on this approved list, but what does approved mean? What does it take? Apart from filling out an application, not much. So 
it's a, it does send mixed messages to people who are, as you say, Jen, doing their own research. And I think Thank that you, yeah, one way or the other, whether you think it's it's hilarious, unnecessary or whatever, the point is people who really do want to figure things out, they're going to have a hard time knowing whether or not a particular company is on the up mm-hmm. and up. And of course, then you've got companies like, say, Coinbase or Crypto.com who are out there going, hey, look, we're OK by Italy without actually saying what OK means. So and everyone's OK by Italy, apparently. <laughs> I'm okay with that. Let's all move to Italy. We can do the hash there. You know, why why do things in register New York, Portugal? Regulate do all kinds of things. Yeah. I got family. (laughs) I'm here for it. I'm here for it. All right, let's change gears. Let's go to the uh, metaverse terminal of the international airport. Jen, swift us away, please. Well, before I swift us away to the metaverse terminal, I think we need to take a look at our new metaverse minute graphic. So let's let's see what our control room has been working on. Look at that. I'm digging it. I'm digging it. <laughs> right of the Valkyrie. That's straight talent. All right. We are going to the metaverse with Warner Music Group. So they're continuing their foray into Web3 with a new metaverse job posting. So they're looking for someone to lead their metaverse strategy, including music, entertainment, experiences in metaverse and gaming. So Warner has been the one of the labels that have really kind of embraced Web3. They recently launched a partnership with OpenSea where some of their, their artists would have to create an OpenSea account so that they could, you know, create NFTs for their fans. I think they're still in the initial phase of that partnership, but they've been doing a lot. Zach, I know you have a job interview coming up, so I'm passing it to Will yep. first. We're yep. just going to save that oh, right what? for the end. Wow. Yeah, no, Will Rugged. put his hand up. Rugs. Rugs so hard. Okay, Terrible. I'm going to go very quickly because I actually do want to say this. Jen, you keep fishing out these metaverse stories, so I had to <laughs> think deeply about this during our time, or during our 23 it. and a half hour break. I thought deeply about what these corporations getting to the metaverse is like. You guys remember back in the day, Blockbuster, you'd go in there and they had the 3D glasses that you could buy with a DVD and you could watch a movie on 3D or in 3D at home with like purple light glasses, whatever you throw them on. That's exactly what this is. It's all a bunch of corporate. I can't say that word on the show, but it's a bunch of corporate crap that does not make sense at all. It's just like this way of getting more money from people and they keep throwing this metaverse stuff together. Warner getting into this. I'm sorry. They have a lot of money, so they're going to hire people and get a headline. That's how I view it. Okay, Zach, give it to you. Well, I feel like you have a personal vendetta against me today. It doesn't make sense now, but if we can just, you know, entertain everyone and look towards the future, I think it does. (laughs) All right, here we go. Job interview time, Jen. All right, this was posted yesterday, and you are going up against 175 applicants via LinkedIn. If you were in charge of this division at Warner Music, how would you do it? How do you bring Warner Music Group to the metaverse in the most interesting way possible? Okay, I think we start at physical concerts, right? I don't think we try and get people who are into the metaverse or into NFTs. That's not where the audience is. I think we start at the conference and we have physical metaverse experiences. So people get to the Taylor Swift concert, they're getting their drink, they can step up to this experiential unit, throw on a pair of VR goggles, and maybe they're in Taylor Swift's home. They get to interact with her cats. It's a super fun time. From there, 
they get an NFT, I think, that they can take away and be a part of the exclusive club that attends Taylor Swift concerts. And we hold their hands into different the different milestones of fully adopting the metaverse. And it also gives us time to build out those experiences. How's that? Wow. Well, well answered. Well answered. We will take you <laughs> under you. consideration and <laughs> advisement. That is, that is definitely something. That is something. I mean, there's not a lot of people in the metaverse right now. You know, I think to, to date, the casino in Decentraland is still probably the most popping spot in the metaverse. So I like All your five approach. People. A few thousand, fifty thousand, maybe. Hey, we'll see what ultimately is the killer app of the metaverse on any given day. Concerts or hanging out with Taylor Swift. Yeah. All right, Christy, I'm tossing it to you. I'm gonna go compile my my HR notes from that interview. I think that Warner Brothers is basically just front running their artists in a way because I think that the artists are already thinking about being there. I think that they're looking for ways. I mean, they're already individually going out and minting their own NFTs and they're already out there sort of releasing stuff into the metaverse on their own. There have been artists who've been doing this or have been interested in. And I think that Warner Brothers is just going where the artists are expected to be at some point anyway. And by sort of securing their own little piece of that universe, they are giving their artists a place to go and to stay with them as opposed to, say, branching off and doing it all on their own. And it keeps it keeps the money in their own little pot. That's kind of how I'm looking at it. Maybe that's a cynical view, but I think it's a good business strategy if they're setting up their presence there and kind of controlling the the strategy uh, in a brand-centered way. I think that I think it makes sense for them. Will, you know, agree or disagree with me on that? Again, I don't see this any different from like IBM running out and grabbing a bunch of patents or things they're never going to develop. Like it just doesn't make sense to me. They have a huge company they have a lot of money. We'll throw around, we'll get some elbow room. I don't see anything actually happening with this. The stuff that's actually being built in the metaverse is from the ground up. People who are interested as artists, people who are interested in it as gaming technology, even some degenerate gamblers out there, they like the metaverse. I don't see Warner going out and building Decentral Land or building a radio network in the metaverse. I don't see that happening. So yes, Jen. I'm bearish on anything corporate metaverse. I'm not a fan of it. Apologies. Well, they may not go out and build it, but they they might partner with with some people who are building mm, some interesting extract things some like rent. sandbox. There you go. There you go. That's Top kind 40 of how radio I see station it, in the metaverse. Let's do this thing. Yeah. Uh, let's, let's build. Let's build fam. All right. Anyway, that's it for the show today. We're wrapping. We'll have to explore these metaverse dreams at a future date. Christy Harkin, thank you for being here today. Jensen Assey, Will Foxley, as always, a pleasure. I'm Zach Seward. That's it for the show today. Check us out on the Coindesk Podcast Network if you want to listen to us again, maybe. Check it out. Just a rewind. Hey, why not? It's fun over there, too. All right, that's it for us. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. You've been listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. So if you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com, subject line, The Hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. 